welcome to the Frogcast. It is the Sunday night before a football game this Saturday for the TCU Horn Frogs, so let's face it, it's time to get this Frogcast rolling every single week. A whole bunch of us thought we would have had a game played already. We had a lot of teams kicked around. Cal, UNLV, Tech, or Tennessee Tech, SMU off, SNU back on, and then SMU off again. Jeremy, Horn Frogs had to cancel a game against Southern Methodist University. We were going to have three straight games, or three years in a row, hosting the Mustangs there at uh, Amon G. Carter Stadium. But it looks as if uh, Mother Nature or Demon COVID or whatever label you want to give to this has, has slowed, uh, obviously slowed things down. Frogs should have played a couple week, uh, last week. Didn't happen. Tell us a little bit about what brought that about, and then obviously we're going to get to the big pressing issue, which is what's going on with COVID-19 and the TCU Horn Frogs. Daniel, do you got like a COVID-19 drop from Kenneth Copeland? Have you guys seen that video when he did the crazy COVID-19 thing? You know, no. Jeff, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, he, he's out You're there, by you, man. He's out in Eagle Mountain Lake, man. Aren't you guys neighbors? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> We're totally, pretty close. totally off. To, yeah, I, I, you know, emotionally, you guys are close, right? Good buddies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I drive by his place while I'm on my uh, pontoon on Eagle Mountain Lake. Hey, I will tell you, I'm doing a sermon series right now called TV Preachers. That you know, every every preacher went online back in March, and some of, some of them still are. God bless them. But um, I've, I've I've had a lot of fun uh, uh, poking fun at TV preachers because I I is one now. So anyway, we need a COVID nineteen drop from uh, Kenneth Copeland or anyone else. Anybody's got a good one. I'm I'm all for it. So because his is, is the best one. It, his is the best one. But this is going to be a drop that uh, the ticket needs to pick this one up because it is going to be used all season. All right, so tell us a little bit about SMU there, Jeremy. Well, I mean, it's it's we talked about it on the board quite a bit, and there's always the conspiracy theory that TCU got out of the game because Gary didn't want to play them. SMU fans are claiming Gary didn't want to play them, and I've even had a couple messages from from guys that uh, were asking me the same thing. Hey, did, did TCU really back out of that game because Gary was afraid to play them? The answer is no. Uh they, they had so many guys out, and I know it's frustrating to a lot of you guys that follow on the board because you're wanting me to just come out and just spill the beans on everything. And unfortunately, there's there's stuff that I still don't know about uh, as far as the actual players that had COVID, the actual players that had the close contact. <clears throat> I know when it came to SMU, they had a couple position groups that – they weren't uh, able to fulfill with the Big 12 threshold. Big 12 threshold is uh, 53 players and I think seven, at least seven offensive linemen, four defensive tackles, and one quarterback. And let me just say it would have been really tough for uh, TCU to stop the run and TCU to get the run going. So if, if that's not a good enough hint for you, then I don't know what is. Uh, the, the big thing right now is I think they're getting healthier uh, a lot of people asked me, I did different shows this week, and everyone was claiming, hey, man, Baylor was real fast to schedule Houston for the 19th. Did TCU look at that? TCU didn't look at the 19th simply because they wanted to have as much time as they could to get all their players back, as many players as they could back. And the 19th just wouldn't have given them enough time to really get ready and prepared for a game. Uh, some of those guys came back earlier this week, Monday or Tuesday, and, I mean, you're looking at – Two, two practices and then having to line up on Saturday to, to get going, and that's just not enough time. So 
the the main thing is right now get ready for Iowa State and it looks like from all indications looks like they're going to be ready to to rock and roll on Saturday well that's good it looks as if uh the you know the virus has kind of rolled through I mean I know it's message board banter because you don't wish this on anybody but you know the the message board theory is hey everybody go out in June and go to a party and get uh get sick and pray everybody recovers quick but if if no one has been impacted in terms of of uh, you know long, uh, health concerns that they're still carrying over after a couple of weeks, it looks as if a high percentage of the players have have uh, not simply been in contact but have been diagnosed with COVID. Right. Um, I know you can't answer this question, but do you have any idea how many kids have had COVID? I don't, uh, and and really, no one's no one's really given me that number. I would I would say it's just total guess just based on the number of weeks they've had practices and and the number of times I've heard certain players are out because of COVID. I would, I would put the number of actual players that, and this is just me simply guessing. So do not go around the water cooler and tell your buddies that Jeremy Clark saying, this is how many players TCU's had. This is just a rough, rough guess. I, I would say anywhere from probably maybe 35 to 45 players, actual COVID, um, and that number could be higher, could be a little bit lower. Um, but like I said, that's that's just my personal guess, just based on the number of uh, times I've been told certain players have been out. That's interesting to know. That, that's about what I would have pegged it at. I was thinking about 55. So, um, hey, we're going to have 53 players the rest of the year. At least that's, <laughs> that's, that's like I said, the, the silver lining out of all this, the, the players that have had it, they don't have to test for the next 90 days. So if, unless they're showing symptoms, they don't, they don't have to have, they don't have to have any kind of testing. So even, even if they are in a a particular position group and another kid gets it, they still don't have to quarantine because they're supposed to have the antibodies in their system. Unless they're showing symptoms themselves, do they even have to take the test? So that's a, that's a good sign. So that's why I feel, a lot more comfortable about them rolling out on Saturday than I did against SMU, obviously. And then even last, uh, this past weekend on the 19th, uh, for them to play a ball game. Well, you know, you said Baylor rescheduled so quick, but then they had to cancel. So we didn't even get the Baylor. What was it? Baylor, Louisiana tech is what got canceled. And then right, cause of Louisiana tech, because of Louisiana tech, but then Baylor is the one that, that uh, was running around with the COVID and they had to cancel their game against, against Houston um, you know, I think it's okay that uh, – can you think of two uglier things colliding than Holgerson and Waco? <laughs> that would I was I was really looking forward to that game. I, I thought it would I be would. a great test for Dave Aranda, his first game coaching at Baylor. And I just – I wanted to see more more Texas games, I guess programs from Texas in the Big 12. Um, but, yeah, I was kind of bummed out that that one got canceled. Sorry, there is one specific player we are all interested in in terms of uh, COVID and all that kind of stuff. Tell us about Max. Tell us about his status. Tell us where he stands. Tell us Max Duggan. You wrote an article about this. Do we see him on the field against Iowa State? And what is the latest update on the, his health status? 
Well, if I tell you, I'm telling Iowa State. <laughs> this is correct. I know that Matt Campbell listens to our podcast. We DM a lot back and forth. So I'm no, I, you know, I've, I, there's there's been enough. I mean, people are going to walk on the stinking sidewalk next to the practice fields and peek their head in, and they're going to see number 15 out there. Um, it, this day and age, you're not going to keep anything quiet like that. Uh, now, will Gary come out and say that he hasn't been cleared by doctors or he's going to be very limited, whatever? Yeah, I, I think we see that because for whatever reason, there. listen, just like you said, Matt Campbell is going to prepare for Matthew Downing. He's going to prepare for Max Duggan. He's going to prepare for Stephon Brown. If, if anyone at TCU thinks they're not going to prepare for Max Duggan, they've got their head in the sand. I mean, it's 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 going to happen. They're going to prepare for Max Duggan. Now, will Max play? I think personally he will. Uh, this past week he did a little bit more. Uh, he's got this upcoming week to even get, even get more reps. Um, do I think he's going to start? I don't think he's going to start. I think – They'll probably still row with with Downing, uh, and depending on how Downing does, if Downing goes out there and leads them to a couple scoring drives, then 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 why do you have to put Max in? Uh, if, if you've got a quarterback that's got a hot hand, let Max get a little bit more rest. But I but I think if Downing struggles early on and he can't get anything done, done and offense isn't moving, then it, you may see Max. Um, but I, I I've always kind of projected that I thought the. The Texas game or even Kansas State would be a more likely scenario, but it, it wouldn't shock me in the least if we see him roll out there. I, I I will say he's been he's been practicing. Well, if he's been practicing and he has been cleared, I will be interested to see uh, just how much he plays. That seems that says to me he is going to play. He seems like the kind of kid that wants to tell the coach he's just fine. Um, I guess the most important thing of all of this is he's okay that he is okay. So I'm glad to yeah. hear that about Max. I am really glad to hear that, not just for football, but for life. But since he's going to be okay at life, I hope he gets a chance to be really good at football. So, <laughs> And that's the thing, too, is like, you know, we we all want him back out there. Um, but it, it's a slow process, and, and he could still be out there practicing and, and going through the motions without doing anything that he's overexerting himself. Like he's running around. They don't like – the, the defensive players contact the quarterback anyway, but he's not going to go out there and do too much too quick uh, as far as practices go. So if you guys hear me say he's been out there, that does not mean he's going to play. Okay. It, it, there's, there's cases where I've seen it before where heck Mikael Barkley last year, perfect example, every practice he was practicing and then come Saturday, he wouldn't play. And it was because he'd, get a headache and he was he was battling those concussion issues last year so it, it it's one of those deals where max may be fine maybe he feels fine and the, he does a checkup with the doctors on uh thursday or friday and they still want to say hey let's give you another week let's give you another two weeks so that's just something we got to watch out for i don't want anyone taking what i'm saying about max and, and taking it to heart and when he doesn't play saturday and and going back and say well jeremy said he was going to play it's just my personal opinion that no one no one from TCU has told me he's going to play. Uh, none of that. This this is all just speculation on my part. Well, I hope he plays, and I'll be really interested to see at what point in the game he comes in. And I think we're all excited to see what Matthew Downing can do. I'll be interested. You know, he's obviously going to go out there and take the first snap at the first series, see what he does. Uh, you know, the, I mean, he's going to hand the ball off on the first play. You can just write that down right now. But I'll be interested yeah. to see what he can do when they, you know, try to stretch the field, get into the pass game. He's going to have a lot of weapons that I'm really, really excited about. But 
we'll see what happens with Matthew Downing. And then at what point does Max get triggered? Is it prescribed? You know, fourth series, you're going in. Or, hey, Downing threw a pick and then they punted three times. So let's go with Max. I hope it's not simply desperation that gets Max out there. I hope it's a, a predetermined plan. But when Max gets out there, we know he's going to um, he's only going to play one way. And that's it. He's going to give everything that he has. He's going to give absolutely everything that he has. So he's going to give all of his heart, literally. All of his heart, literally. Yes. All of that heart. His heart has been tested before the game had took place. His heart has been tested. <laughs> Well, obviously the frogs are going up there to Ames to play Iowa State. Frogs. Um, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. They're coming. They're they're playing here, Jeff. They're playing here. I'm sorry. I had it written down wrong here. Yeah, the frogs are playing at Amon G. Carter. TCU hosting Iowa State. My bad about that. Uh, before we get into the game, let's just talk about how weird that's going to be. What, what are we going to have? Ten thousand, twelve thousand, fifteen thousand capacity. But there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of kids that have soccer games on Saturday. Yeah, there's no tailgating too, so you got to factor in that. Twelve. I'm I'm hoping, man, you better get twelve thousand people out there, TCU. You better get twelve thousand. You fans need to get out there. I mean, I've seen other stadiums. I watched other games over the weekend, and of course, they they're dealing with the same things. Can't have max max capacity, but they're still they're still putting in fans as as many as they're allowed to. Um, If a team if, if a team like Southern Miss can fill up. Their capacity, uh, I'm sure TCU can, and they should, especially with Iowa State coming to town. You know, I watched the Miami-Louisville game last night, and they obviously had, you know, a, a very limited capacity. But what threw me off is no no one was sitting in the upper deck. I mean, you yeah. think you have, you know, they, they see like 58,000 or whatever there. If they've got a 15,000 cap, I figured they'd say, hey, every, you know, you know, 5,000 of you got to be upstairs or something like that. I mean, the idea, right. you know, what's the point of having 15,000 if you make them sit hip to hip? <laughs> so. Well, it's like we saw the seating chart for, for ACS, and I don't think they're letting anyone sit down on the uh, lower east side. It's all going to be on the, the upper deck part. Yeah. Um, and they're not letting anyone sit in the end zones where the team comes out. The the south end zone is all going to be in the north. And if I remember correctly, I don't think anyone's going to be sitting on the third deck. You know the the top level. Okay. Uh, I mean, someone someone posted that picture. It was on the the ticket thread. So yeah. if any, if anyone's listening and they know where that's at, bump it, bump that thread, do whatever, post a new thread and and put it out there. You know, this is where I'm. Everybody's just glad I'm not in charge of things because you know th- there's been especially around college football there there's all of these changes that are taking place and i understand that a lot of you know it needs to be done and i'm glad i'm not in charge of having to make these decisions but uh, it's like the big 10 I'm, i mean i'm glad big 10 has started to play but okay you're not playing football that might be the wise choice i'm i wasn't knocking their decision i was knocking their decision is we have 35,000 students on campus that are coughing on each other in bars and our football team is practicing but we can't play i, I didn't understand that like if you yeah. think we shouldn't do anything okay that's a reasonable argument what's not a reasonable argument is we're going to let her, you know we're going to let the football team run around and be a football team we're going to we're going to make all these kids come come to campus i know a lot of them got online but what's the difference between being online and just being in your dorm i mean I, I i i don't know this is why i'm not in charge of anything substantive other than god's church so i'm just uh, i'm just a little venting a little frustration there if it's up if it's up to you the pac 12 would already been 3 weeks in wouldn't they 
No, no. See, that's what I'm saying. No, it would not be that. If they want to make that decision, I'm actually fine with the back 12 because they said, this is what our doctor said, and we don't think we can do it. I know they're getting back in, but if you want to stand by that, stand by that. Just have actions that follow up that decision, which is nobody's on campus at all. We are not letting anybody practice football. But if we're going to get on campus and we're going to practice, then you should go ahead and play. So that's my rant. Um, and why I'm not, I, there, there's, uh, there's no passion in being a mushy moderate. So there you go. But that's what I am. So, um, all right. So we've got a, a- Amon G Carter. That's going to be, uh, at 12% or with 12,000 fans there. We're going to have two, fe- two teams on the field. Are you going to be in the press box, Jeremy, or are they spread? Yes. Out? Okay. Yes. I was one of the lucky few that, uh, was able to get a credential. It's, it's different for us this year too, because uh, they're not giving out, a ton of credentials. They're only given one credential out per media outlet. Uh, so usually the star telegram will have sometimes two or three people there. They're only going to have drew. Uh, sometimes I'll have an intern with me or even the, the photog I bring. Uh, it's limited to me, uh, Billy with purple menace. It's limited to him. And then I don't even know what frogs of war is getting. I, I, I don't know if any of those, uh, outlets are, are getting anything. I know for, for a lot of people that, they might be from a local paper that come and do stories on one of the TCU players. They're, those kind of people aren't getting credentialed and we're going to be spread out. There's not even going to be a, a, there's going to be a post game conference, but the post game press conference is usually held in the uh, four sevens team room. And it's still going to be like I said, a post conference, but we're going to be sitting at our chairs up in the press box and doing a zoom post-conference and from what I understand, from what I understand it's going to be like that at a lot of big 12 venues like you're you're not even going to get to go down and do face-to-face um I know for TCU's case where they do their their post-game pressers is also where the team the the gigantic team meeting room is so they didn't they didn't want anyone in that area so it's going to be different for us uh as far as media goes and it's going to be, be a lot less people than, than what we're used to. I mean, for me, it's going to be like the, you know, it, it'll probably remind me of those early, uh, or, or early September games, late August games when it's still 102 outside and you have 11 AM kickoff and parents got all their kids at soccer games or youth football game, whatever they're playing. And the, the crowds are usually around 15,000 anyway because it's so hot and no one really wants to go and they're playing, you know, Northwestern state or, you know, whoever FCS program, name it. Um, it's Baylor. probably going to be, it's going to be like that a lot this year. That's what I, I'm, and, and we're used to that. I mean, it's, it's, I'm just glad we're going to be able to see football period. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad we're going to see football. Um, my other thought is, are you going to have a buffet table in the press box? You know, that's a great question that I got to bring up to Mark. I'm already, kind of upset that we're not having King Ranch chicken on Tuesday. Cause that's usually the first meal of the season mm-hmm. that, that they feed the media during the week when we have our uh, Tuesday media pressers with coach, but I doubt it. You know, I, I, I don't think buffet is really something that, that you can do right now. Um, I, I would, I would probably think that they're going to prepare stuff and uh, prepackaged meal hamburgers or hot dogs or, fajitas, stuff like that, kind of like what they do for the basketball games. If you go to TCU basketball games, you got Chicken Express in there. You've got – there's a Japanese restaurant they get or Raisin Cane. It just different different food items that are already prepackaged and 
you don't have to go through a buffet line to get it. So I, I bet that's what we're going to see a lot this year. My favorite restaurant in Memphis that has a chicken fried steak buffet mm. and a fried catfish buffet, they've had to um, stop all of their buffet service from the health department. That's the saddest day. That's the saddest day I can remember. So, Oh, no. Yeah, I know. All right, moving right along. I'm sure everybody wants to hear our uh, our conversation about food and buffets. Frogs, <laughs> the Iowa State Cyclones. The Cyclones laid an egg against Louisiana Lafayette. Man, they did. Oh, my gosh. And this was not like a fluke or a, hey, they, they had a weird turnover at the worst possible time. They got, their, they got the doors blown off of them at home against Louisiana Lafayette. Jeremy, what do we think the Frogs are going to see from Iowa State when they come in this Saturday and kick off at 1230 at Amon G. Carter? Man, I, I tell you what, I hope they bring that same kickoff team and punt coverage team because Louisiana, they they made some money off those two two areas of the game. They, they had two uh, special team touchdowns. And really what impressed me the most about that whole game wasn't, wasn't that. But the way the Raging Cajuns played defense, I mean, their corners got right up on the receivers. Iowa State receivers pressed them. They couldn't get any kind of separation. Brock Purdy had probably the worst game of his career. I think he was around 16 of 36, 35, something like he He completed under 50% of his passes uh, for only 140-something yards through an interception. They really had him rattled. They got a little bit of a run game from Brees Hall, but other than that, Louisiana pretty much had a, a really good game against them, I, and I couldn't – I knew Louisiana was a good team. They won 11 ball games last year, so it wasn't like – Iowa State lost to a team that had no business in winning. Uh, Louisiana is a pretty good team, but they just they did so many good things on defense that I hope that Coach Patterson takes a look at that and sees how they play their defensive coverages. What what fooled Brock Purdy? How how did they uh, stop him from running around and 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 creating plays with his legs? And, and that's the thing that I that I want to see the most out of the defense is just really just limit him to. Making the you know making the the kind of plays he he had last year. I mean, last year up in Ames, Brock Purdy was a one man show. I mean, TCU could not stop him throwing the ball. He had over a hundred yards running the football, and it was it was pretty much it. It wasn't pretty much. It was by far the worst performance they had as a team the entire year, especially on defense. So, I'm I'm hoping that. It's the same team that comes down to Fort Worth, but I don't think it's going to be because now you've had uh, Matt Campbell found found where the areas are lacking. He's going to get those guys improved, and and they're playing a Big Twelve opener, so they got a lot more to play for. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what Iowa State brings. Um, and and not to mention they were without their best tight end, Charlie Kohler, who's the best tight end in the Big Twelve. Um, him and Pro Wells are the, the the two marquee names in the Big Twelve at tight end, and if Brock Purdy has him to throw to, he, he's he's going to target him. And and Kohler had a great game against TCU last year, so they've got to limit the big tight ends. I I, I think they could stop the run, uh, and they've got to figure out a way to stop Brock Purdy running around. That's that's the big key. You know, Iowa State historically comes out and lays an egg early in the season. They struggle. Uh, I think they struggled against UNI last year. They yes. gave that game away last year against Iowa on a punt. That was the most Iowa-Iowa State moment of any game. Um, they, this is not new to them, but at the same time, they look bad. I mean, I know Billy Napier, like you said, is a good coach. I know you, if you're at Louisiana Lafayette, you're one of those 
off the radar schools, yet still in a talent rich area. It does not take long yes. to get traction when you can get a low three star and convince him to come stay home rather than than, than go to Houston or or uh, you know go, go to Georgia Tech or something like that. So it's interesting to see what uh, what what Iowa State looks like because they got they got manhandled. That granted, they gave up a couple of big plays, but there was never a moment where I thought Iowa State is just about to take this game over and it, there's going to be a point of no return. Uh, Lafayette just 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 put the business to them. So what, what I was impressed with too with, with uh, Lafayette was their run game. I mean, they were able to get good good running yards against Iowa State. The defense they they have some of their key guys coming back, but it's like it's been all year long with the Big Twelve. None of, none of the Big Twelve teams have really looked outstanding Oklahoma did against Missouri State and Texas did against UTEP um, but we haven't seen the rest of the Big 12 really look all that good so far no we have now we're going to talk about that in a second well let's talk about what the, what we think the frogs are going to show when they come out all right you've talked about this a little bit so let's let's just do a little prediction of which you we can hold you accountable to and you owe us nothing if you're wrong tell us the wide receiver set when the frogs come out on their first series, <laughs> you talking the formation and the uh, no the, the personnel. Let's talk about the personnel. If the frogs come out four wide. Who do you think are are, are going to be out there? Oh, that's a good question, man. I think I think we'll see Tavalence Hunt, Tay Barber, Pro Wells, and maybe Mikael Barkley. Barkley exists. I can't wait. I can't wait. He does exist. Um, who are we going to see in the back? Bar- if it's not Barkley, I'll, I'll, I'll say Johnston, but I, I do think everyone's going to be like, well, JD Spillman should be starting and he may start too. I, I, I don't know. They can come out in five wide. They can come out in four. Mm-hmm. It's, they've got a lot of different weapons to choose from, but I, I do think pro Wells will be on the field early on, uh, before Spillman, but I think Spillman's going to play a ton running back. I, I, I feel it's going to be Barlow. Okay. Who's going to take more snaps, Barlow or Zachary Evans? Uh, I would say it's probably going to be Barlow for now. Okay. But, but like I said, you go, if you go with the, if, if Evans comes in there and he starts gashing Iowa state for big yardage and then you got to ride, ride the hot hand. But as far as starting and, and getting more carries right now, I'd go, I'd go with Barlow. You go with Barlow. All right, let's flip over to the other side of the of the field, or on, on yeah, the other side. What are the front? What's the starting front four going to be? I say O'Shawn Parker Workman at the ends, and then Terrell Cooper and Corey Bethley at tackle. What about uh, what about Brooks? Because I'm just going to answer the question that everybody was ready to interrupt you with. Why Workman over Brooks? <sighs> well, right now you've got a team that is a pretty balanced team in Iowa State. They're still going to run the football at you. Parker Workman's a little bit bigger body. And one of the knocks that I've heard uh, with Marcel Brooks is he he really can't take on blocks right now. He really can't he can't plug gaps. He doesn't ha- he doesn't weigh a lot. He's only uh, I think the last time I heard he was between 205 and 210. What he can do is get around a big offensive tackle. Uh if if an offensive tackle uh, can't get at least a, a hand on them, and then, then it's going to be great success for Marcel because every everyone I've spoken with about uh, how he is getting around the corner, it's just it's extremely fast. He gets to the quarterback, uh, but I could see him playing more of a role that being being a third down situation type guy, and 
if they if they start to see that Brock Purdy's running around more than he should be on them, then I could see them using him more, uh, trying to uh, to to spy on Brock Purdy a little bit. Just not really line up as an edge rusher, but just kind of stand up on stand up like a three four linebacker and, and get to the quarterback that way. And that's kind of how they were they were going to use him in the first place. Everyone knew coming in that it was going to be pretty tough for him to crack the starting lineup at linebacker. The 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 defense for uh, Patterson and, and learning it from a linebacker perspective is is pretty tough. And right now they. They have more of a need uh, with him at defensive end, especially with Mark Jackson not being there. Uh, the Oklahoma transfer, uh, he's going to be out, and it's it's more. It makes more sense to get Brooks in there if he's not making plays at linebacker. Asking if if he can't do what the coaches are asking their linebackers to do, and sometimes all they're doing is plugging gaps and trying to help with the run defense then I think it makes sense to be uh, more of an edge guy and, and just try to get in there and get after the quarterback. I did ask, you know, I asked the question, hey, could he line up at safety? Or if there's a situation where there's a slot that's killing y'all, can y'all just put him and say, Marcel, just cover that slot. Don't do anything else except cover that guy man-to-man. And I was basically told, no, he he's not going to do that because you do that, then you're messing up the rest of the defense and how they play it. So that's uh, that's – I know that's been a question on everyone's mind. How in the heck do you not have that guy on the field? He's going to be on the field, and he'll probably play a ton of plays. But as far as running out there with the first-team defense, I don't see it happening yet. All right, I'll be curious to see how they use him, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and contradict what you said. I think you're going to see Brooks at multiple positions on Saturday. I just I think that you're going to see Brooks at multiple positions on Saturday. So... Uh, you mentioned Jackson being injured, the transfer from OU, uh, or, or, or not being able to play. Is this? Uh, can you can you comment on that health? Or I, don't, I don't know what the I don't know what the injury is, and I've asked a few people um, how long it is, and and pretty much it's been told to me that he's he's out for a long time, and I've asked a few people if that means the season, and still, and I've been told it's to be determined, and usually when. I get the dreaded TBD response. It usually means the the whole season. Oh man, that's awful. Okay, well that's um, we're breaking news with um, bad news. So, all right, well let's go out on a limb here, Jeremy. Give me a prediction for Saturday: Frogs against the Cyclones in Fort Worth. What's your prediction? <clears throat> well, it's going to be a tough game. It's so tough, man, because I, I don't know what we're going to see from the offense. I don't know uh, how good Downing's going to play early on. I don't know if Max is going to play. How good is the offensive line? Are they going to protect? Are they going to create running lanes? Is Iowa State going to be different from the team they lost, that lost at home by 17 two weeks ago? I feel optimistic about this year. Iowa State was one of the teams that I had pegged as a loss when people always ask me my season predictions. And – I always thought Iowa State was going to be a loss, but after watching them play against Louisiana, and granted Louisiana is a good team, but they ha- and they have talent, but I, I feel TCU's talent is is much much better, um, especially on on defense. I think defensively, this could be one of the better defenses we've seen in a while. I mean, they are tremendously athletic at basically every position, uh, speed all over the field. Um, they've got a great amount of experience coming back with 
uh, Corey Bethley at defensive tackle. O'Shawn didn't have a great year as a redshirt freshman, but he's he's gotten bigger. He's gotten quicker. Uh, he's had a good camp. I don't want to give him too much praise because then everyone's going to start, you know, clowning around on him again and saying he's not that good. Um, but I do think he's going he's primed to have a a better sophomore season than he did as a redshirt freshman. Then you have obviously Garrett Wallow, one of the best linebackers in the country, and then the two safeties, Trayvon Merrig and, and Ardarius, are two of the better safeties in the country, and, and Merrig's really considered a top three safety in the country. So you, you've got very good uh, safety play. Van Zant, I believe, is going to uh, be the guy at strong safety. It's a natural position for him. He's going to be really good. And Noah Daniels and uh, uh, Travis Hodges Tomlinson are two pretty good corners. Tomlinson got a lot of playing time last year. And Daniels, I think, if he wouldn't have got hurt early in uh, fall camp, that we'd have seen him quite a bit last year as well. The offense is the biggest question, but I don't know I'm rambling on here, but it's it's I've got to convince myself that TCU can win this game, Jeff. Uh, but, I, but I still see this number 15 on the other sideline and running around and making plays and – having a game of 400 combined yards, you know, 300 and 300 through the air and a hundred on the ground like he had last year. But I I do think TCU uh, will have a, will have a much better performance than they did last year names. And I guess I, if, if we're going to start the season, I got to give a Homer pick. So I I guess I'm going to go with TCU winning this game 24 to 21. You are not far off from my prediction. I'm going to go 27-24 Frogs. And uh, I th- I think the Frogs are going to be able to move the ball a little better than everybody thinks they are. And it's because of the issue that we haven't talked about at all. I'm actually buying this offensive line. I'm buying this offensive line. I think they're going to have. A, I think they're going to be able to move the ball in a way they weren't able to do last year. And even if uh, I think just the collection of starts that they have and the cohesiveness of players that have been together for a while, I think is going to have some compound interest. We know that offensive line starts matter more than anything else. So I'm going to go 27-24 Frogs, and I see Garrett Wallow sacking Brock Purdy for a game ceiling uh, tackle. Um, at, at, a, at a critical moment to, 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 to win that game. And then I can't wait for Garrett Wallow's post-game interview. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we, uh, we, we had him, and they came out, and it's like the dogs say, oh. But I just uh, and I went and I saw him, and I, and I, and I just did I just played within myself and got my play. And we're, we're 1-0, and and we're just looking forward to going 2-0 next week. That's pretty, that's pretty good, man. That's you've, not been, bad. you've been watching his videos. It's it's uh yeah I've been watching his videos yeah it's like an urban Cajun that's what I love about him you know <laughs> South Louisiana but uh, he's uh, he, he I have a feeling uh, Garrett Wallow threw a punch at a park when he was about twelve I mean that's my hunch too <laughs> he's a he's a good boy but if you get on his bad side he's gonna let you have it so I yeah. think Garrett Wallow so yeah give me twenty seven twenty four frogs um for getting out of the gate with a with a big win against Iowa State there at home this Saturday so I will say I think the interior of the offensive line is going to be pretty good um Wes Harris is 100% right now and I think not having him uh fully healthy the last couple of years has has been 
uh, part of the missing link to that offensive line. I know some people, when they watched him, like, yeah, he's okay, blah, blah, blah. He, he hasn't been healthy. I mean, he hasn't been healthy since probably his junior year at Alito. He, he, and he's now finally got over everything. He's had a really good camp. Esteban's had a really good camp at center. Quazelle's at right guard. Esteban's kind of the guy that I've been pegging for the last two years as a guy that would be pretty good at center. And even when Thompson was here, uh, Chris Thompson, it was you, you, ca- you kind of see the writing on the wall that they really wanted a big center type. And I, I'm not I'm not dogging Coy McMillan here at all, but you know, Esteban has been a guy that's just kind of patiently uh, just waited for his moment. And he's worked hard at, at getting there. He's one of the stronger kids on the team. And he's big. He's like 6'4", 315. So I think that's going to help out tremendously in the middle. Yeah. Uh, I think what you meant to say was Florida State head coach, Chris Thompson. Did you see oh, that? Yeah. yeah, how about that? Yeah, Norvell's got COVID and um, Thompson's the head coach. I think it's Miami, Florida State this week. Yeah. Miami. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, welcome. He, I mean, he, it's not his first time as a head coach, but – I think it's his first time as a head coach at Division One level. Uh, well, he, he was he was the he was the interim he he was the interim head coach at Texas Tech when Tommy Tubaville That's left. Right. He left, right. and so Chris had to coach the Monkey Carbo or whatever it is. I can't remember what yeah. it was, but yeah, he coached them to a victory, and then he went right back to Arizona State. He was the head coach at ACU, though, right? Yes, he was. That's what I thought. Well, it's funny. He he was at he left ACU to go to Arizona State, and then he went to Tech for I think one year, maybe one or two years tops. Mm-hmm. And then he coached the uh, bowl game, and then went right back to Arizona State. So that's where he got connected with Norvell because Norvell came from well, was OC at Arizona State. And well, came. he he got connected with Norvell because he coached him at Central Arkansas. And he coached at Central. He, he recruited him, so no he's kidding. known. He's known Norvell for forever, and okay. that's that's why he was. It, he almost got him. He almost got him last year when when Norvell was at Memphis, and he he had tried to get Chris to come up there and coach the offensive line and and help be a play caller. But everyone knows Norvell's the play caller. But now when he was at Florida State, he gave him like a a perfect title, the deputy head coach, which I've never heard of in my life. But hey. It worked out because now he's going to be the head coach on Saturday. Yeah, it's worked out pretty well for him. Sorry, I'm sitting in my office here and my phone is ringing, so just ignore those phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I can't actually came Pastor to the office. Jeff, we need you. We need you now. I actually, I, I live. Help us. I live a half a block from the church, so I thought I'd come over here because nobody would interrupt me. And uh, yeah, uh, the phone's ringing, so we'll see what it is. <laughs> All right, let's let's switch gears here. Um, in the time we have left, first, let's just throw the the rest of the Big Twelve under the bus. I'm looking at an Iowa State, as we said, that lost Louisiana Lafayette, Kansas lost to Coastal Carolina, which I kind of give them a pass for because one of the most heartbreaking losses TCU has ever had is to Coastal Carolina, except it was in Omaha. Uh, Kansas State loses to Arkansas State. Texas Tech should have lost to Houston Baptist, which I'm not going to lie, I. I didn't know they had an FCS football team. And then <laughs> Oklahoma State looked like hot garbage. 
against Tulsa, and Tulsa hasn't. Uh, they've they've had three straight losing seasons. So, all right, of of all of that, what's the bright spot in the Big Twelve, Jeremy? How what what is the worst? Uh, who looked the worst in all of those terrible losses? Those terrible losses or undignified wins? Uh you know, I was. That's a tough one because you're right about Coastal Carolina. I watched them the other night, and they weren't too bad. I mean, they've got a, a pretty good offense. I couldn't get used to their turquoise football field, though. Um, but I would say – because Arkansas State's a pretty decent team and Louisiana's a good team. I would probably say the Oklahoma State game against Tulsa because Tulsa couldn't get anything on offense going. And, and man, if Oklahoma State – I don't know. They were without Spencer Sanders. It's, 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 it's tough, man. I'm trying to trying to think which one. Just by watching and 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 looking the worst, I would say Oklahoma State. But also got to give them a pass because they didn't have Spencer Sanders and their backup quarterback before they brought in the third stringer, which happened to be a four star true freshman. I mean, their backup. I don't know how in the world he was their backup because I was just thinking Tulsa's going to win this game at any moment because it's it's. They're, they can't move the football. You know, Tulsa, all they need is a, a couple good drives here and the game's going to be over because they're they're stop, they're stopping Chuba. He can't get any yards. And you get a couple good plays. to that, That's one thing the freshman knew to do. He threw it to Tylen Wallace. Tylen Wallace made a couple good plays. And the next thing you know, they're in the ball game and they're stinking winning it in the end. But I think bad losses, I mean, talent level, Kansas losing to Coastal Carolina shouldn't be happening. That's probably the worst loss. Yeah, that's probably the worst loss. But going back to that Tulsa-Oklahoma State game, it's not that they had a, a, a struggling backup and then and then the true freshman. It's that they couldn't run the ball. No. When you can't run the ball with the best running back in the country, you're in trouble. Um, and I, I don't think they could have run the ball much better if Sanders, Saunders, Sanders was in there. So I know that Spencer's a great quarterback. I know there's clearly a drop-off. And you don't have to talk to TCU fans about what it's like to have a – you know, uh, hey, we've got a red shirt walk on that we have uh, one huddle of. You know, like I get that we're looking down yeah. the chart to see who's going to start for us, but um, Mike Gundy does not get caught without a quarterback, and he got caught without a quarterback. So we'll see what happens going forward with Oklahoma State, but they did not look good. But they did get the win. They did get the win. I, I guess I would also say, you know, Texas Tech. I heard a lot of chatter about them in the off season. Oh, you they, know what? They, let me change my. Sorry for interrupting. I'm changing my opinion. Texas Tech was the worst showing. Yeah, I had a lot. I, about them. I heard a lot of smoke being blown about them in the off season. That you know, he's got them going. They got it. They look that great down the stretch. I think they're going to have. A, they're going to surprise a lot of people. Well, they surprised me almost losing a game to Memphis. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess the prophecies are all true. They, they did surprise a lot of people. So I want to, I want to know one thing you're on, you're pretty active on Twitter. Yes. I know you are. So basically the, the two teams that offer the most kids out of anyone is Illinois state and Houston Baptist. I, I never see so many kids tweeting about those two schools and getting an offer than from Illinois state and Houston Baptist. So I don't know how in the world you didn't know Houston Baptist had a team. You know, I guess I guess I have only so much bandwidth in my mind for recruiting. <laughs> and I, I do keep up with a lot of kids. I keep up with a lot of schools, all of the all of the power five, all the G five schools in Texas, other than UTEP, 
I, I kind of keep an eye on him. You know, because if a kid gets an offer from North Texas as a sophomore, he's going to get an offer from SMU at the end of his sophomore year, and he's going to get looked yeah. at by Tech and TCU and has a great senior year, you know, Oklahoma State and others. But um, I, I'm just not getting enough. Uh, I guess I haven't been showing him the love. I guess HBU and me have I haven't been showing them the love. So HBU yeah, is one of the schools that offers the the kids that have played like one or two varsity games that are freshmen. Good for them. Yeah. Hey, Illinois State, they are a historic FCS power. I mean, like that's a, that's where Justin Puente was when Patterson hired him. So, like that's a really competitive Midwest FCS program. Well, but I'll tell you this much: they they offer more Texas kids than anyone that well, I've ever I, seen. Well, I ref football in Illinois, and I can tell you they're not living off of tele- Illinois talent. So. <laughs> oh, man. All right, last topic. Uh, let's talk about how there's nothing to talk about in recruiting. Frogs have a very small class. They have um, in the ballpark of some of the numbers they're already looking at, they don't have a whole lot more room. And dead period has been extended through the end of the year. So, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about the um, how much room we have in this class. And for those of us that don't live and die with recruiting, explain what the dead period actually is and the impact that's going to have on recruiting. Well, that it sucks because you can't have contact, face-to-face contact. So you can't have coaches go out to games for high school athletes, and you can't have kids on campus to visit. And so for a lot of these kids that were hoping that the restrictions were going to be lifted – Sometime at some point during the season, some of these kids are committing to schools that they're never even going to see unless it's on their own dime. Now, a kid can go to a game, and, and I'll I'll use a, a local uh, kid like the Lofton kid from Northside. He can't technically go visit TCU as a in, invited recruit. He can't request to have tickets to go on the sideline. He can't do any of that. Now, if Lofton wants to go to the ticket office and buy a ticket if there's one available or go online to buy a ticket and go to the game, he could do that, but he cannot talk to the coaches. He cannot go visit with them, do any of that. It's, it's basically, so when you see these schools or that that have recruits at, at the games, that's, that's how they're having to do it. They, they cannot have any type of contact with these, with these players. Um, And everyone asked me, well, how come TCU isn't doing that? I'm just, TCU's not going to get into that game of trying to break the rules or trying to, you know, even make it look like they're attempting to break the rules. It's it's just one of those things where they don't have to put so much focus on 2021. They've only got a limited number of spots left, probably a handful. Um, so in that regard, they're they're okay for for 2021. But I think as far as 2022, it's going to hurt those kids. It's going to hurt those kids, especially that. That the coaches can't come out there and watch them in person and 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 see uh, the kind of players they are in person and, and and visit with the coaches and everything else. But the recruits that were really hoping to make decisions based on how a campus looks or how they felt on official visits, feeling the love and whatnot, it's it's going to kill them. It's it's going to hurt tremendously for them and 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 for the schools. Do you think there's going to be any change to, like, say, early signing day, or are they going to kick it all the way back into February? What What are your thoughts on 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 what could potentially have and happen there? Because that that could change a lot. To me, I think they should push back the early signing period, um, but they can't do it too much because you you have. I, I think 
you can't push it back too much because you still have kids that are early enrollees that will be on campus in January. Um, I wish they would, I wish they would lift the dead period, uh, at some point late in the year. So kids can at least go on campus and, and take those official visits, but it's, it's probably going to be a very interesting January. January is going to be more interesting than it has been the last two years um, since they started the early signing period. Cause the, the big thing to do the last two years was to sign early, have 80, 90% of your class signed early. So you don't, so you can focus on the next class or the remaining targets that you might have unsigned. And TCU's done a tremendous job in that regard. The last two classes, um, Man, I could count on one hand that maybe even a couple fingers of the guys that didn't sign early, um, and they still ended up signing in February. But it's for TCU, it's probably a good thing they have such a small class this year and they have a, a limited number of spots because it's going to be extremely stressful for a lot of those programs. Because, like I said, you don't you don't have you have a lot of these kids that have committed to programs that have never even stepped foot on campus. And that's really unheard of. I'll give you an example here in town, Eric McAllister. Everyone knows I talk about Eric all the time. Eric committed to Boise State. He's never set foot in Idaho. He's never set foot on campus. So for a kid like that that gets heavily recruited by some other programs that he may want to go visit, now he can't do it. So now he's kind of stuck with, do I want to take a risk of not going to Boise and going to this other school? What if I don't like this other school because I've never seen him in person? What if I – what if I can't live in this city, you know, or now he can't go see Boise. What if I can't live in Boise? So now it, it's, it's going to hurt some of these kids. And I, and I hope like crazy that the the dead period gets lifted to where some of these kids can go out and visit in January if they don't sign early. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how all this unfolds. We've had so much change in terms of how the season has unfolded of we're going to play 12 games and we're going to play non-conference and then we play non you know one non-conference and then that game gets canceled big 12 or big 10 pack 12 they're out they're in they're out they're in uh i don't think recruiting is going to be all that different because the ncaa is involved and i just don't trust them to do much of anything right to be totally honest so um i will say the good thing about um tcu situation for 2021 they've got seven commitments right now. And I think of those seven commitments, the only one that hasn't been on campus before is Belton. Uh, and Belton was really wanting to take a visit. They're not having a season right now, so he was hoping to get down here. And, and like I said, they could still come down here on their own dime, but they can't visit with coaches. They can't go tour the facilities with any of the coaches. They can't do any of that. Now, if he wants to hop in his car with his family and they want to take a drive to Fort Worth, and drive around campus, do all that, and just get a feel for Fort Worth, drive around Fort Worth. They can do that all they want, but they cannot They cannot have face-to-face visits with the coaching staff. And the good thing with the remaining targets they have too, the like Lyric Rawls and, and uh, Jasper Lott, a couple of those guys that are high targets uh, for their 2021 20, class, those kids have been on campus before too. So it's – Working out good for 2021, and it, for the most part, you you hope that all this changes for 2022 because some of the higher ranked kids have been on campus. Uh, you know, like the uh, some of the quarterbacks, some of the receivers, they've they've been on campus, but for the most part, a lot of the times that 
these kids get a chance to get on campuses during the summer and summer camps and, and none of that happened this summer. Um, so that was something that maybe the coaches got a nice little break, not having to do those camps. But the good part about those camps was for some of those kids, they had a chance to come on campus and, and see the facilities and walk around and, and, and talk to the coaches and do all those things, build those relationships, but they didn't get to do that this summer. And the coaches didn't get to go out to their schools and watch them practice and evaluate them. And I really feel bad for a lot of the kids that are still under the radar that I think could have really big senior years and, and really get some attention. And now it's all going to be done through phone calls or texts or direct messages on Twitter, FaceTime, whatever, but they can't ever go to the school and actually see it in person and, and have what it feels like to be, a recruit on an official visit. Yeah, that's got to be disappointing, especially for those kids that had waited, you know, worked so hard, um, begun to see those offers roll in, and and now everything's just kind of up in the air. And I don't know, you know, in the grand scheme of the whole world, it's not the most important thing, but it's really important to them, and therefore it matters to us. So interesting to see how all that unfolds. Man, crazy times, crazy times, my friend. All right. Either one of you two got anything else we want to talk about for the good of the cause before we wrap up this episode of the Frogcast? I think we covered it all. I think we covered it all. I think we covered it all. Um, Where's Big D at? He's in search of that Kenneth Copeland uh, drop. Okay. Gotcha. Let's get that thing in for next week. Let's get that thing in for next week. Well, hopefully the Frog will be back here next Sunday night to celebrate a big Frog victory over the Iowa State Cyclones and continue to dive deep into Big 12 play. Um, If you haven't already, we want to encourage you to give us a rating or review on iTunes. Subscribe to us. Look, search for the Frogcast. It's a great way for people to uh, follow us and get to know about TCU football and all the things that we love to chew the fat on here during the football season. Also, go join and check out hornfrogblitz.com. We're tra- proud to be part of TCU 24-7 Sports. This is a great network. Anything you care about, about inside information, changes inside the program, and the complications of recruiting, especially heading down the home stretch here, Horn Frog Blitz is the central place for you to be to find out all the news that's front, uh, uh, fit to print and fit to tweet. Also, we just uh, we want to thank you guys for sticking with us here in the offseason. We know we haven't been on as much this summer. We've had a lot going on, but we're back. We're back every week. Looking forward to having a great football season here in 2020. It's not the 2020 season we were looking for, but it's going to happen, and I'm just so glad that it's happening. So I will be glued to my TV like you all will on Saturday at 1230 when the Frogs are hosting the Cyclones. So until our next episode, for Jeremy Clark and Daniel Southern, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the broadcast.